Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Alrighty, good to have you all with us today. I want to talk to you about relationship. My most important relationship is my relationship with the Lord. And then my most important human relationship is with my best friend, Grace. And my relationship with the Lord helps establish the precedent and the pattern for my relationship with Grace and my other relationships. And in my relationship with Grace, I learn a lot about myself and my relationship with the Lord. Here's what I'm talking about. Way back in the Old Testament, Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of your Bible, before sin even enters the world, God says it's not good for me to be what? Alone. If you've ever met a guy who's single, you know, that's not good, okay? That's not good. And then what God says is that he's gonna give me a wife, a woman, and that she will be my helper because I need help. If you've ever met a single man, you know, yes, that's 100% true. They all need help. Uh, and, And that together we're supposed to be one. We're supposed to be one. There's two of us, but we come together and we live as one. So we have one last name, we worship one God, we live in one house, we we do one life together, we do everything together. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this because sometimes people look at Jesus and they think, you know what? Uh, He was completely alone and he didn't need any help. And he was this independent, autonomous individual that wasn't in close, loving relationship with anyone. He just sort of was somewhere between Rambo and Clint Eastwood, just unemotional, strong, isolated individual. And what this causes for people is a spiritual life where they're just really independent, autonomous, non-relational people that are not asking for help. And I think this is particularly true of men, of men. And, And the truth is that Jesus was not alone. He was never alone. And in fact, he needed help, so he had help and he asked for help. And he lived in such a close relationship that the Father, Son, and Spirit, they are in fact one. And so what I wanna talk about today is not just our personal relationships, but our personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we'll start by examining Jesus' personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And before we jump into John 14, which is where we're gonna find ourselves today, I wanna go all the way back to John chapter one, pick up a theme and a thread. And here's what John, this is Jesus' cousin, John the baptizer. John bore witness and said, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. He's talking here about the baptism of Jesus. The question was, how do we know when God has come into the world? And the answer is in the Old Testament, particularly in books like Isaiah said that, God would come into human history anointed by the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus comes at his baptism, the father speaks from heaven, says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, the son of God comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. This is not unlike uh, my wedding day. So Grace and I had a relationship We did life together, we loved each other. And then we had a formal public ceremony where we declared to the world that from that moment forward, we do everything together in a relationship. Jesus had an eternal relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And in his earthly life and ministry, Jesus was in constant communion with the Father and union with the Spirit. And the baptism was sort of their way of publicly declaring Uh, that they were doing life together and that everything that Jesus would do thereafter would be in relationship with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let let me show you this careful word. The Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and it what? Remained. 
or abided or continued or stayed. So when Grace and I got married, we've stuck together ever since. We do everything together. We do all of life together. It is kind of like that between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with him. So everything that Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is involved. Everything that Jesus does, the Holy Spirit is involved. Everywhere that Jesus goes, the Holy Spirit is involved. He's not isolated and alone, he's in relationship. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit empowers the life of Jesus. This may blow your mind because Jesus needed help. Jesus didn't need help because he was sinful, but because he was human. The second member of the Trinity in taking upon human flesh, God becomes a man. He gets tired as we are tired. He gets tempted as we are tempted. He has troubles as we have troubles. Jesus lived a full human life, struggling with the same things that we struggle with. And he needed help in his humanity. And when he needed help, he went to the Holy Spirit as his helper. And, and the big idea today is that then he sends the Holy Spirit to help us. But we see here, the Holy Spirit comes to remain with Jesus. And he says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, Again, that big concept, ongoing relationship, life together. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the son of God. So a couple of things I wanna show you. Number one, Jesus is not alone. Jesus is never alone. The Holy Spirit remained, remained. That's what it says. So he's not alone. For those of you that are trying to do life alone, you're not following in the footsteps of Jesus. In addition, um, Jesus needed help and you and I need help. And we need even more help. Jesus needed help because of his humanity. In addition to his humanity, we're also sinful. So in addition to the limitations of our humanity, we have a sin nature. As a result, we need more help than Jesus did. And if Jesus needed help, we need help too. And then the third thing I'll say regarding Jesus is um, Jesus turned to the Holy Spirit for help. And my question to you is when you need help, who or what do you turn to for help? And the goal, my hope, my aspiration for you is when you need help to turn to the Holy Spirit and have him help you as he helped Jesus, have him empower you as he empowered Jesus, have him serve you as he served Jesus, okay? So we look at Jesus' personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then we look at our personal relationship with the Holy Spirit starting in John chapter 14. And the first thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit is helpful. How many of you need help today? We all need help, amen? Anybody who doesn't raise their hand, they need so much help. They need so much, we all need help. And here's what Jesus says, truly, truly, I, who are, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So to believe in Jesus means then we start to behave like Jesus, okay? Uh, we start to follow in his footsteps and we start to work in his ways. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Let me untie that knot real quickly. Some people will get up and say, you will do greater things than Jesus. And you gotta be careful with that because how many of us don't really feel like our resume is gonna be varsity and Jesus' resume is junior varsity, right? Like at this point, God became a man. You're like, 
that was cool. And then he raises a dead guy. How many of you don't have that on your calendar this week? You're like, Tuesday, raise the dead day. Every Tuesday, it's not Taco Tuesday, it's raise the dead Tuesday. That's how we, I'm not gonna do that. You know, you can't multiply a kid's lunch, feed a multitude. We can't just find a nice lake and go for a walk over the surface. Uh, we can't bring back the dead. We can't heal the blind. All these things that we've seen Jesus do. The question is, what does it mean we're gonna do greater things than Jesus? It's not greater in magnitude, it's greater in multiplication. Um, here's what Jesus is gonna do. He's right on the precipice of dying in our place for our sins. He is hours before the cross. So he is going to finish his greater works of dying and rising to conquer sin and death and reconcile our relationship with God. Then he's gonna return to God the Father. And he's talking in context here about sending God the Holy Spirit to fill, to empower, to enable the ministry of his people. And so Christians are to continue the ministry of Christ by the same power and presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that we now have an opportunity to be part of Jesus' ministry on the earth. Meaning today, the biggest movement in the history of the world is the Christian church. Billions of people claim to worship and follow Jesus. And the son of God, when he was on the earth, he took upon himself, he accepted certain limitations. He could only be in one place right? He could only speak to one person or group of people at a time. Now the Holy Spirit fills the children of God and there are billions of us all over the world. So we can talk and we can love and we can serve and we can feed and we can pray and we can minister. So we're continuing the work of Jesus because Jesus' work is threefold. It's for you, it's in you, it's through you. He dies and does a work for you. He rises and gives salvation to you. He sends the Holy Spirit to do a deep work of transformation in you. And then he does ministry through you. So it's Jesus works being multiplied on the earth. And here's the good news. Your life is meaningful. Your life is valuable. Your life is purposeful. You can have the same power that Jesus had to continue the ministry of Jesus. Amen, that's exciting. Um, he goes on to say, Whatever you ask in my name, he's talking there about prayer. And praying in Jesus' name means praying in accordance with the will of God. This I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the big concept and idea today. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, uh, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You can know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me hit this briefly. What we're talking about here is the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal and co-eternal. Um, the reason we called this church the Trinity Church is because that is the defining aspect of what it means to be Christian. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, and he talks to us about the the Father. And last week, if you were here in last week's sermon, he talked to us a lot about God the Father. This week, he's gonna talk to us about the Spirit. He's gonna talk to us a lot about the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see that God is a relational God. That's crucial and key. God is a relational God. And sometimes when we think of God, we think in terms of physical, and that's not very helpful. God the Father is not physical. God the Spirit is not physical. God the Son took upon himself a human body and Jesus came as a man. But for us to think of three being one, I want you to think in terms of relationship. So Grace and I, there's two of us, but the Bible says we're one. 
there's two persons, but we're one. In the Godhead, there is three persons, but they are one. When we're done, or at least when I'm done preaching, the band will come back up. And what they're going to do is they're going to sing. They're all gonna sing the same song. They're gonna harmonize. And if you close your eyes, it'll just sound like one beautiful voice as a chorus comes together to be one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, it's like that. They sing the same song. They're in perfect cadence and harmony and they work together and everything they do is in relationship perfectly and eternally with one another, okay? And that's what Jesus is intimating at here when he talks about his relationship with the Father and his relationship with the Spirit. And what he's teaching us is that the Holy Spirit helped him and the Holy Spirit helps us. You say, well, how do I get the help of the Holy Spirit? And Jesus gives us some things. Number one, believe in him, whoever believes in me. So my first question to you is, do you believe in Jesus? That's, that's 101, that's where everything starts. That's your first step, right? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he became a man? Do you believe that he lived without sin? Do you believe that he died so you could be forgiven and have a relationship with God? Do you believe that he is alive and seated in heaven right now and willing to receive any who would turn from sin and trust in him? Do you believe in Jesus? That's step one. Step two, he tells us, is to align ourselves with God's will. When he says, in my name, he's talking about in God's will. Let me, let me ask you this. If you go to God and say, hey, God, help me rip off my employer. What's the answer? No. God's like, I don't do stealing. I gave you 10 commandments. And one of them says no to stealing, right? We can't go to God and say, God, here's what I want. Do it. We have to go to God and ask, what do you want? And then do that, Okay. And so it's aligning with God's will. Asking in God's name is asking according to God's character and God's will. How do you determine God's will? Well, the, the simplest way to do so is to open God's word. If you wanna know God's will, open God's word. God's word says, love my wife, forgive my enemies, be generous. If I want to do God's will, God will help me do his will, right? Because God blesses, what he instructs us to do. How many of you are a parent? And if a kid comes to you and says, I would like your help rebelling. You're like, I'm not even praying about that. I do not help rebellion. If your child comes to you and says, okay, you told me what to do. I wanna do it. Can you help me figure out how to do it? What's the answer? Every time. God has a father's heart. And if you come to him to argue with him, you're probably not gonna win. In fact, you will never win. But nonetheless, if you come to him and say, okay, your will be done. I need help, he promises that he will help us. So number one, believe in Jesus. Number two, align ourselves with God's will. Number three, he says to seek to love and obey God. Seek to love and obey God. And that's what he says. He's saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. This is really crucial. Um, love without obedience, it leads to unholiness. Obedience without love leads to unhappiness. And these are sort of the two extreme teams within Christian church. The uh, God loves you, do whatever you want, rebel. He doesn't care, he just loves you. Well, that leads to unholiness. The other side is obey, 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 but they don't tell you very loudly that God loves you. The result of that is unhappiness. Because does that mean that God is a boss, that God is a bully, that God is domineering, that God is overbearing? He's non-relational. And what Jesus says is that love and obedience go together, but it's like two pedals on a bike. Which comes first? Love, relationship, obedience, trust. Love, relationship, obedience, trust. 
I used to have this conversation all the time with my kids when they were little. Uh, I'd get down on their level to look them in the eye and I would ask them, um, do you know how I feel about you? My kids would always say, you love me. Okay, I do love you. I love you very much, okay? My poetic daughter occasionally would say, you love me as big as the sky and as deep as the ocean. And then I'd forget what I was gonna tell her to do because it, it was so beautiful. So, but I would look at my kids and I'd ask, uh, how do I feel about you? And they'd say, dad, you love me. Okay, I do love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you, dad. Okay, I'm gonna ask you to do something now. And I need you to trust that what I'm asking you to do is because I love you. And if you love me, you'll trust me enough to do what I tell you to do. I want the relationship to be a bridge that is strong enough to carry the command for obedience. Some of you, your problem in your relationship with your kids or your relationship with God, you don't understand that there needs to be a bridge built to carry the weight of obedience. That's the relationship. That's the love. That's the love. And so what Jesus is telling us, he's saying, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I do. Okay, then trust me. Say, well, how do we trust you? By obeying, by obeying, by obeying. So believe in Jesus, step one. Step two, align with God's will. Step three, seek to grow in loving relationship with God that leads in obedience to God, right? It's love and obedience. Step four, the Lord Jesus gives us is recognize your need for help. How many of you need help? We all need help, right? If Jesus needed help, don't feel bad needing help. Some of you, you like, how many of you like to help? You, you like to help people. Sometimes people who like to help, they have a hard time letting others help them. How many of you are married to that person? You're like, I'll help you. They're like, no, I have no need. Then why am I here? Why am I here? Why, if I'm not needed, why am I here? How many of you have someone that you love and they need help, but they won't let you help them. Let me help you. No, I got it. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. I know what I'm doing. For sure, you have no idea what you're doing. It'll be fine. Oh no, no, it's, it's already on fire. I'm telling you, this is, this is going to end badly. The Holy Spirit, he is our helper. And I think the Holy Spirit oftentimes feels like you do when there's someone that you love and they need help and they won't let you help them. You're not doing well. Can I help? No. Can I talk to you? No. Can I serve you? No. I believe the Holy Spirit is often grieved because we always need help and very few are humble enough to allow the Holy Spirit to help them. And Jesus says that he will send the Holy Spirit as the helper, another helper. Now. Some of you have different English translations of the Bible and uh, the original New Testament here was written largely in Greek, but different English translations will, they'll translate this word helper differently because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so magnificent. It's so rich. It's so multifaceted that it comprises a lot of different aspects and elements. So some of your translations, it'll, it will call the Holy Spirit um, the comforter. You know why? There are times emotionally when we need comfort. Uh, instead, we turn to comfort food or we self-medicate. Instead, we should turn to the comforter, right? That we need God to comfort us. You're like, I'm struggling, I'm frustrated, I'm worried. I, I'm emotionally distraught. I'm not doing well, I'm burdened. I need God, the Holy Spirit to comfort me. 
Some of your translations will call him the advocate. That's more of a legal term. It means that there are times in your life where Satan comes and he sort of retries your whole life. Oh, they said this and they did that and this is who they are and this is what they've done and I find them guilty. You're like, oh, that's all true. I did that. I said that. Then Jesus steps up as your defense attorney and he sends the Holy Spirit as your advocate. And the Holy Spirit says, no, actually, uh, Jesus died. So case dismissed and they're forgiven. And we don't try the case again. And Jesus says they're righteous and he's the judge who holds the court. You're just the prosecuting attorney. You're not the judge. And the advocate leaves the decision in the hand of the judge. How many of you have had that? You feel condemned? It says in Revelation 12, 10, that Satan is the accuser of the children of God that he accuses them day and night. Some of you feel like you're constantly on trial. Some of you feel like you are condemned. And the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There are times when the enemy comes to accuse you and Jesus, the judge, sends the Holy Spirit as the advocate to remind you that your case has been tried at the cross of Jesus. You are forgiven and set free and you are declared righteous in Christ. Sometimes that word as well, in your translations, it'll be called counselor because we all need wise counsel. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure what the next step forward is. God sends the Holy Spirit as the counselor, the one who will help us navigate that next season of life. And then some of your translations will refer to the Holy Spirit simply here as he is here. That is the helper. That's a co-laborer. That's a co-worker. That's when you have too much to do and somebody shows up and says, give me some, some stuff to do, I'll help. We, we had a, a, an event at our house yesterday. We cleaned the garage, okay? So add that to the list of Jesus' miracle. I can now get two cars in my three-car garage, which for me is a record, okay? So uh, previous to that, I couldn't even get a bike in my garage. Now we could get three cars, two cars in the three-car garage, and uh, there were certain things that were heavy, um, and I... I gave my sons this glorious opportunity to be like the Holy Spirit and pick stuff up. And so in serving them that way, um, I was teaching them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If my sons are here, take notes. And so uh, what I would tell my sons though is, there are certain things I could pick up. There were certain things that were very heavy. And what I tell my sons is, hey, pick that up or help me pick that up. That's a helper. Let me tell you this, you have two kinds of friends. You have pretty good friends and the person who is helping you carry the couch when you move. That's, that's a special kind of friend, amen? How many people are like, I'll pray for you. Like, no, I need somebody to carry the other end of my couch. That's really what I need. To, I don't need prayer. I need somebody with a strong back and a little bit of free time. That's what I need. Sometimes the Holy Spirit shows up just to put his gloves on, to put his boots on, to go to work and to help out and to get stuff done because there's too much work for you to do. Okay. And what Jesus is talking about here, in any way that you need the ministry of the Holy Spirit, if you recognize that need, step five, the Holy Spirit will come to serve you in those ways. If you believe in Jesus, if you're aligning yourself with the will of God, if you are seeking to obey God's will for your life, and you are recognizing your need for help, if you call out to God in prayer and invite the Holy Spirit, he will come and he will, he will help. 
He will comfort you. He will advocate for you. He will counsel you. He will serve you. A couple things I'll say. Number one, don't feel bad for needing help. Don't feel bad for needing help. We need help because we're sinners. We also need help just because we're human. Like I told you, Jesus had times when he was troubled, when he was tempted, or he was tired. And the Holy Spirit helped him. And he knows that we need help. And so he's promising to send the Holy Spirit to help us. Don't feel bad needing help. Number two, self-help is no substitute for the Spirit's help. Let's say I was to go to a bookstore today and I know they're like dinosaurs, they're dying off, but just, just hang in there with me. I go to a bookstore and I walk in and I say, let's say I go to the person at the front counter, I say, I really need help. Which section should I go to? Where would they send me? We have a, a self-help section. My answer would be, the self is the problem. The reason I need help is the self got myself into a situation. I feel like I need outside help to get me out of the situation. This world knows that it needs help, but it has no concept of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so we're left with self-help instead of the Spirit's help. There are times and ways that you and I are beyond the ability to help ourselves. And that's where we need the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit to help, to help. This is all coming out in a book next month. I'll give you a free copy, get what you pay for. But, but I've spent years looking at this, trying to figure out how does the Holy Spirit work? And what I've learned is this, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you like Jesus that the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus' life. And then Jesus is promising here that he would send the Holy Spirit to empower our lives because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to help us become increasingly more like Jesus. Like that's what he's doing. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, this will be an encouragement to you. You cannot wear the Holy Spirit out. How many of you, you've needed uh, comfort, but you've worn somebody out? You've needed an advocate, but you've worn somebody out. Uh, you've needed counsel, but you've worn somebody out. You need help and you've worn somebody out. Even the people who love us the most, if we go to them and say, okay, all I need from you is the same thing that God provides, we are going to destroy the relationship because we will overwhelm and exhaust the person. Okay, there are people that God will work through but they're human and they have limits as well. Here's the good news about God, the Holy Spirit. You cannot wear him out. You can call him at 3 a.m. He'll take your call. We call that prayer. You can struggle with the same thing and he'll show up to help again. He is an inexhaustible source of energy for life. So for you and I, we need to realize that there are good people that love us that we have crushed because instead of talking to God, we talk to them. Instead of leaning on God, we lean on them. Instead of asking God for energy, we go to them and we drain their energy, okay? God, the Holy Spirit was always there in every moment, in every way for the needs of Jesus. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be there for you and I as well. And somebody asks, how does this work? It's very practical. It means when you're being tempted or troubled or tried, you just stop. You say, God, I need help. 
Holy Spirit, help me. It means when you're reading the Bible, you stop and you say, Holy Spirit, you inspired the Bible to be written. Teach me what it means and give me the power to do what it says. This means sometimes turning off the news and turning on worship music and singing and spending time in God's presence. This is strategically timed spiritual practices. I'm tempted, I need to meet with the Holy Spirit. I'm tired, I need to meet with the Holy Spirit. I'm troubled, I need to meet with the Holy Spirit right now and get the energy and the wisdom and the help that I need for this specific instance and moment. Another one, the Holy Spirit sometimes does the miraculous, but oftentimes does the mundane. Some churches tend to, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, they either have bad teaching or no teaching. And in many circles, you know, it's like the, the father's the mean one, the son is the nice one, and the spirit is the weird one, right? I mean, that's kind of your view of the Trinity. The mean one, the nice one, the weird one. That's not how it works. They're all together sharing the same attributes, working together in perfect concert and harmony. Sometimes the Holy Spirit shows up in a miraculous way. Somebody gets healed, that's amazing. God gives a prophetic vision, a dream, or, or something supernatural happens, that's amazing. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit shows up in the mundane. For example, in the life of Jesus, it says that he was tempted. How did he overcome temptation? By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's Luke 4. How about you're having a hard time forgiving someone because what they said or did, it was just damaging, it was hurtful. You're saying, I am really, I know the Bible says to forgive. I'm just having a hard time getting there emotionally. Well, Ephesians 4 says to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know why? The Holy Spirit is the one who can give you the supernatural power to do the supernatural thing and forgive. Forgive. How about emotionally? I'm not doing well. I'm struggling. I'm tempted. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm worked up or I'm really grieved. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit perfectly empowered and enabled the emotional life of Jesus. And he can come to calibrate your emotional life to have health. Because Jesus was perfectly angry. Jesus was perfectly rejoicing. And Jesus was perfectly mourning. He had the full spectrum of emotions and they were all governed and guided by the power, the presence, the person of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think I need God to show up and do the miraculous. Okay, maybe you do. But I would submit to you that oftentimes the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's mundane. How do I be healthy today? How do I forgive them today? How do I say no to that thing that God says no to, but I really wanna say yes to? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit and he comes to help. Now, let me say this. I believe that the Holy Spirit is, he is the most neglected power source in the universe. I believe that so many people are living off of their life energy and they're depleted, they're discouraged, they're exhausted, they're stressed and depressed. And they don't realize that God, the Holy Spirit is there to empower them as he empowered Jesus in very practical ways. 
I'll give you an illustration. I was working on the book, Spirit-Filled Jesus, and I was on a flight some months ago and I was under deadline and I thought, well, this will be good. I'll jump on the plane and I've got hours uh, to work on the book. And I had some ideas flowing. I thought, I'll make some progress. So I sit down and somehow my battery was a lot lower than I thought it would be. And I thought, oh no, this is not going to go well. My battery is dying. So I'm frantically working on my laptop as fast as I can, writing a book about the power of God to give us a supernatural life with a dying battery, okay? So this is my life. And I see the battery dying and I'm thinking, I'm not going to do all that I want to do today. I'm not going to complete what I have planned to do. My battery dies as I'm halfway through my work. I slam it shut, I put it in the back pocket. I sit there like a petulant child for like two or three hours, just like, ah! I kid you not, the plane lands, I drop my pen, I go to pick it up, right under my seat, I kid you not, what was there? An outlet, okay? Now Grace was not with me. If my helper would have been with me, she would have dutifully searched and this would not have occurred. And I just thought, you know, this pretty much explains the typical Christian life. I'm writing a book about the power of the Holy Spirit and I overlooked the power source to plug my laptop in to write the book about the power of the Holy Spirit. But many Christians are like that. Like, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta go there, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. It's like, have you plugged into God? Nope, and my battery's dead. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. And Jesus is like, you need help. So don't say, I'm going to wind my battery down to zero and then meet with the Holy Spirit. Stay connected to the Holy Spirit and let his power flow into your life practically and daily. Okay, next point. The Holy Spirit is relational. Uh, John 14, 18 through 24, I will not leave you as orphans. There's a powerful, powerful concept there. I will come to you. He's gonna die, rise, go to heaven. Jesus is coming back. We're waiting for that great event. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. I'm gonna die, then I'm gonna rise. And then 40 days later, I'm gonna go to heaven, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Good news there, right? If you're with Jesus, you go where Jesus goes when you die. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. All this language of love, it's relational. God the son loves God the father. God the son loves the Holy Spirit. They love each other. To enter into relationship with God is to enter into loving relationship, right? And the Holy Spirit brings us the love of God to experience and to share. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, <laughs> that guy, Bummer, huh? Isn't that a bummer? There's two disciples named Judas. What, what are you? I'm one of Jesus' disciples. What's your name, Judas? Oh, well, I heard about you. Yeah, I heard about you, yeah. No, I'm the other Judas. That's probably what it said on his name tag. Judas, not Iscariot. It's probably what it said on his name tag. Right? Otherwise you're like, I'm the other Bin Laden, right? I'm the other Bin Laden. I'm not, the, I'm the, I'm not Adolf. We were talking about it as our pastoral staff. One of, one of the guys on our team, he had a relative whose name was Adolf. He finds just changed his name to Alf. He's like, I'm Alf. I thought your name was Adolf. Nah, too much. that's too complicated, right? Nobody wants that on their mail. Adolf, what the, you know, so Judas, not Iscariot. I'm sure he's, I'm sure John's writing it. Judas is like, put it in there, not Iscariot. Put it in there, not Iscariot. 
said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? You know what? The world doesn't know Jesus. The world doesn't understand Jesus. If Jesus is the most important person to you, then the world doesn't understand the most important thing about you. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home relationship with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Again, Jesus says, I'm telling you what he told me to say. We always work together and sing in harmony. Here's Jesus' anticipation of their question. God is in heaven. We are on earth in the world. Jesus is God, come down. Most of the people in the world, they don't like Jesus. They don't love Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't obey Jesus. A handful of people do. We call them Christians. Here they are, the disciples. Jesus is gonna die for our sin and rise as our savior. And then he's going to evidence his resurrection to crowds over 40 days. And then he's going to return to heaven. And the disciples are wondering, cool, do we get to go with you? And the answer is not yet. And he anticipates the question that you might have. If we did life together and then you leave, are we, are we orphans? Has God abandoned us? This strikes a, a deep chord in the human heart. Some of you have been abandoned. I mean, we got married. We said, till death do we part. They got in the car, drove away, and they never came back. We were a family, mom and dad, something happened, and now we're not a family. I thought you were my best friend, and now you're gone. I thought we were business partners, and you left. Sometimes it's not even a betrayal, it's just a, a brutality somebody you know, you love them and they died. And there's just been a, a lack, a miss, a want in your soul ever since, like they're gone. They're just gone. In that day to be an orphan was to be in a precarious position. See, um, it was the Christians who started adopting orphans because the Bible says that God is a father and that through Jesus, our big brother, we get adopted into God's family. Uh, furthermore, the Lord Jesus, he was adopted by an earthly father named Joseph. So it was the early Christians who began adopting kids who were orphaned or abandoned. But previous to that, and outside of Christianity in the Roman Empire, if you were an abandoned child or an orphan child, you had no legal rights, you were considered property. If you were a boy, you basically had two options. Someone would, would take you and make you a gladiator or a slave. And if you were a girl, you were a slave or a prostitute. You had no legal rights. No one loved you, protected you, provided for you. You were abandoned, you were orphaned. And so the, the question is, are we orphaned? Are we orphaned? If Jesus goes to heaven and he leaves us behind, have we been orphaned? And the answer is no. But let me say this, God is your father. Jesus is your big brother. The Holy Spirit is the presence and person and power of God in your life but you can still have an orphaned heart. And I know many believers, particularly men, they have an orphan heart. And I was thinking about it, I wrote some notes, a parent provides presence. Here Jesus is talking about sending the Holy Spirit to be God's presence in your life. Those who have an orphan heart, they feel alone, they feel abandoned. 
They feel very isolated. They feel like they're all by themselves. A parent provides a sense of pleasure. When Jesus was baptized, God the Father says of his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. A parent's supposed to be the one that looks at you and says, I sure love you, you're sure fun. I'm excited for your future. I like doing stuff with you. Life with you is better. A person with an orphan heart, they feel like I'm not really appreciated. No one really enjoys me. No one really delights in me. I'm not cared for, I'm not special, and I don't really measure up. A parent provides purpose. Okay, here's, here's who you are. Here's what God made you to be. Okay, let's, let's get you ready for the future. And, and I'm confident you'll get there and I'm gonna be there to help you get there. The person with an orphan heart, they, they lack purpose. I, I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I lack confidence. They're fearful, they're timid. They're not risk takers, they're risk avoiders because they're not sure of their purpose in relationship to the parental relationship with God. Someone with an orphan heart, they struggle because what a parent brings, they bring protection. You're safe, you're protected, you're defended, you're okay. Someone with an orphan heart, they always feel unsafe, insecure, a little suspicious, a little jaded, maybe even a bit paranoid, distrusting and mistrusting of others. That's an orphan heart. And what a parent also provides is provision. They take care of you. They provide for you. They feed you. They clothe you. They house you. People that have an orphaned heart, they're constantly obsessed over physical and financial provision in a way that is ungodly and unhealthy. It's not just stewardship. What it is for them, it really is a scarcity mentality. I'll give you an example. Um, You can have a father and still have an orphaned heart. Uh, there was a family I knew some years ago. They adopted a, a, a little boy, beautiful little boy. He had been abandoned and orphaned and bounced around a lot of unhealthy home contacts with extended family. Finally got put into foster care and this loving family was in the process of adopting him and they did adopt him. And at night they would put his pajamas on him and in the morning when they would come to wake him up, he was always fully clothed with his shoes on. They asked him, why in the middle of the night do you get up and put all your clothes on and your shoes? And he wouldn't really answer. Well, then they started cleaning his room and they found food, snacks hidden all over his room. It took a little while as they loved on him, they finally got him to open up. And what he said was, I know that someday I'll be leaving. And so I get dressed and put my shoes on in case in the morning I need to go. And he said, I'm afraid that someday there won't be food in the house, so I hide some in case I need it. The parents looked at him and they were just heartbroken. They said, you've been adopted. We're never kicking you out of the family. You don't need to sleep with your shoes on. That day is never coming. You're part of the family. Furthermore, all the food in the house is yours. You don't need to hide it in your room. You can keep it in the fridge, because that's your fridge. You can keep it in the pantry, because that's your pantry. There will never be a day that we kick you out of the family, and there will never be a day that we don't provide for you. You're part of the family. You need to know that God is a father, 
and that you are not, what's the word? Orphans. How do you know this is true? Jesus says that God is Father. Jesus comes as the Son of God. Jesus is in this instance and moment. He is hours before his death on the cross. So all of this is anticipatory and preparatory for his death. Jesus substitutes himself on the cross and he takes your place, my place, our place, and he pays our penalty for sin. And one of the things that he says on the cross is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, taking upon himself our sin, Jesus Christ, the son of God, became an orphan. Theologians will say that in that moment, the father who had enjoyed perfect face-to-face union and communion with the son, that the father turned his back on the son. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our place and for an instant, the son of God experienced the abandonment of an orphan heart so that you wouldn't have to. So that you wouldn't have to. Because then what the Lord Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit, but who does he say that to? Father. Jesus has an orphaned experience and then cries out, calls out to God his Father. The Father and the Son are reconciled and I have very good news for you. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you were reconciled to your Father at that moment as well. You are a child of God. You have a father who is never kicking you out of the family and there is no need to worry about ever being an orphan. That's healing, amen? That's super healing. For those of you that have experienced rejection or abandonment, particularly by family and or fathers, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. By faith, we receive that. By faith, we believe that. And we live in light of that relationship that is forever secure with God as our Father. The Lord Jesus then thirdly, he teaches us that the Holy Spirit is practical. He is practical. John 14, 25 through 31. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Just a quick caveat, when he says the Father is greater than I, the Father, Son, and Spirit are equal but the Bible teaches singular headship and plural leadership. Within the Godhead, the Father and the Son denotes uh, plural leadership, the Father, Son, and Spirit working together, but the Father is the singular head. In the, in the home, there is plural leadership, singular headship. So it should be in all healthy organizations. And Jesus here is saying, you know, I honor, I submit to the Father. We're equal, we lead together, but there is a singular headship and I respect his authority. He says, I'm going away, I'll come to you. If you love me, you would rejoice. He says, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. 
I will no longer talk much with you. What he's saying is, what I've had to say is almost done. What I've come to do now begins. He's going to die. For the ruler of this world, Satan is already working in and through Judas Iscariot is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise up, let's go from here. The Holy Spirit is, he is practical. And Jesus here is looking at three ministries of the Holy Spirit. The first is mental, right? The Bible says that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The Bible says that we should have the mind of Christ, thinking God's thoughts after him that ultimately we are to worship the Lord our God with all of our mind. What Jesus here is teaching is that the Holy Spirit will come and through the scriptures, give us the mind of Christ. How many of you, when you've read the Bible, you have seen that God has just literally re-hardwired your brain. You're like, how I used to think, I'm thinking very differently. There's this transforming experience through the word of God because the same Holy Spirit who writes and inspires the writing of scripture, he illuminates our understanding and he awakens our affection so that we hear what God has to say. We think what God thinks so that we can live as God intends. This is a supernatural divine experience. My friends, that's why this book is unlike any other book in the history of the world. And when you pick it up, something supernatural happens because you encounter the living God and God meets with you and he absolutely teaches you. That's what Jesus promises. The Holy Spirit would come to teach us. If you have ever learned anything, particularly from God's word, you have experienced a supernatural miracle of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, not only does he teach us, he brings to remembrance things that we've already learned. How many of you love this? How many of you, you learned something years ago and you haven't thought about it in a long time and then something happened in your life and you're like, I now remember that sermon. I remember that devotional. I remember that scripture. I remember that conversation. God taught me something and it was latent. It was buried in my life and now it's sprung into existence and it's gonna be very fruitful. How many of you love this when you get to do this with somebody else? Somebody comes to you like, I'm struggling with something. You're like, I actually know what to say. It's a miracle, it's a miracle, I got a miracle. You're like, I got a verse for you. And they're like, oh, thank you, that was it. That was the word from God for me. They're like, how did you do it? You're like, I didn't, I got help. You know, I need help, yay, but I got to be helpful. This is one of the great joys of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit helps us and sometimes he helps us to be helpful. We get to share in his joy. So he helps us mentally. Let me say this, you cannot be mentally clear without meeting with the Holy Spirit. You cannot have clarity on who God is, who you are, or how you are to make decisions in life unless your mind is surrendered to the Spirit and it is submitted to the scriptures. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us emotionally. He talks about the world. And uh, what he says is this, in the world, um, da, 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 I gotta find it. Let not your hearts be troubled or afraid. Here's the point. This world has trouble, amen? Any of you agree with that? Right? The world is troubled. The result is we live in the world so we can be afraid. Like I'm scared to be here. All right, Jesus, is it rapture day? Do we get to leave yet? You know, can I go now? No, it's gonna be a while. Okay, so I'm gonna be in the world. The world is troubled. 
I'm very afraid to live in this world. How do you live in a troubled world without having a troubled heart? Jesus says, uh, my peace I give you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world do I give to you. Here's how the world works. Once everything is okay out there, then everything will be okay in here. As soon as I have money and health and security and relationships and there's no risk, as soon as everything's okay out there, then I will have peace in here. I'll sleep good, I'll praise God, I'll calm down. Question, will everything out there be okay? Not till Jesus comes back, friend. The world gives peace internally based on circumstances externally. Jesus gives peace internally regardless of circumstances externally. This is why the believer could say, things are not okay, but I'm okay. I don't think it's gonna make it, but I'm gonna make it. Things look awful, but I'm still joyful. You say, how does that work? You can't get that in a pill. You can't get that in a prescription. You can't get that from a self-help seminar. You can't get that just from a positive outlook. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit transforming the emotional life of the believer so that your emotional life is contingent on God's loving affection and relationship with you regardless of circumstances. This is where there's a whole chapter in the book and it'll be a sermon in October, but I look at the emotional life of Jesus. Jesus had perfect anger. He had perfect rejoicing. He had perfect sorrow. He had the full spectrum of human emotions perfectly guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. And part of the ministry of Jesus is to make his people emotionally healthy so that there can be a peace internally, regardless of what is happening externally. And that is not ignoring reality, that is trusting the one who changes reality. And that is the one who loves you in that relationship with you, no matter what trouble comes upon you or what foe comes to destroy you, that God is with you, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he'll always take you back, he'll always love you, he'll always serve you, he'll always endure with you. And when you die, it only gets better. That's the hope of the believer. And so the Holy Spirit comes to help emotionally. And so he says, you can have love and you can have rejoicing and peace. And let me just say this to you, this is controversial, but I believe it is impossible for anyone to have a healthy emotional life without a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to be emotionally healthy without having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, your efforts, my friend, are doomed to failure because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus' emotional life was guarded and guided by the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to guard and guide you so that in a troubled world, you will not have a fearful heart, but you'll have peace that is not natural, it is supernatural, and it comes from God, not circumstance. The third thing he sends is spiritual victory. The Holy Spirit is practical mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And what Jesus is saying here is that there is a kingdom and there is the world. And the kingdom is led and governed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the world is led and governed by the power of Satan. And what he's saying is the prince of this world, you need to know that all corrupt, all cultures are to varying degrees corrupted. That all cultures have aspects of that which is satanic and demonic. That's why we can't just say that's my culture because if you're a citizen of heaven, that's your culture. 
And that culture is to change all cultures. Our cultures are not to go up to heaven. God's kingdom culture is supposed to come down to earth. And so what Jesus is saying is, the prince of this world is coming for me. And it looks like Jesus is going to lose. Satan fills Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus, to murder him, and we kill God. And Jesus says, he has no claim on me because Satan only has claim on our life where there is sin. That's the only jurisdiction and ground that he holds against you or me. Jesus had no sin, so Satan had no claim to Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, he died so that you and I could experience this same provision and power of God. Dear friend, if you're in Christ, let me say this, Satan has no claim on you. Your sins are forgiven. You belong to Jesus. Satan comes for you, but Jesus came for you first and he delivers you from the one who comes to destroy you. This gives you spiritual confidence. This lets your soul have peace. This gives you rest spiritually so you can have health emotionally, so you can think mentally and live obediently as Jesus says, rejoicing. And that is God's intent for all of his children who are filled with the spirit. So at this point, what I love as well, let me just hit this last line, I love this. I just really love doing this. So thank you for being here. This is exciting. God's word is living and active and present and helpful and it changes people and it renews minds and it refreshes hearts and it encourages those who are broken and it helps those who are hurting and it gives clarity and light to those who are befuddled in darkness. God's word is good. God is good. God's word is alive and God is alive. And this is good news. And in a world filled with bad news, we all need a little bit of good news, amen? And I love this. The commentators say, we're not sure why this is here. I still like it. Here's what he says. Right, what he's saying, rise, let us go from here. He's saying is, you know what? It's time to get up, time to move forward, time to get to work, time to press forward, time to find your destiny, time to make some changes, time to have some hope, time to press forward. So we're gonna worship, we're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate. But first, as the band comes up, let me ask you some questions. Are you an orphan? No. Not very loud, I'll ask it again. Are you an orphan? No. no, you have a father who loves you and adopts you. You do not have an orphan identity and I don't want you to have an orphan heart. God is a father and through your big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, you are adopted into the family of God. Let me ask you this question, friend, are you alone? No. no, no, you're not alone, you're not abandoned. God, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in your life. The same presence who was present in the life of Jesus is present not only in the life of the believer, but in the believer. That's what Jesus says, he'll come not just to be with you, but to be in you. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. Number three, is your life meaningless? No, you now understand it's meaningful. I'm supposed to trust the Father. I'm supposed to believe in the Son. I'm supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can walk in the will of God. My, my life's mission and calling is to walk in obedience to the will of God out of loving relationship with God. Let me ask you this question, are you of the world? No, you are of the kingdom. You are not of the world. In this world, you will have trouble. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. 
Instead, he says, I give you peace. Peace not as the world gives you. My peace I give to you. Today, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we receive this great provision of the Holy Spirit. Do you have your old mindset? No. You have a new mind, a new mind that is being renewed. You can learn the word of God. You can learn the will of God. You can learn the ways of God. God, the Holy Spirit, if you ask him, teach me, his answer is always yes. Instruct me, the answer is always yes. Inform me, the answer is always yes. Do you need to live with a troubled and fearful heart? No. Some of you say, but I'm so accustomed to this. You need to be more familiar with God's presence than your pain. You need his love to cast out your fear. You need his presence to make up for whatever lack there is in the absence of someone who has abandoned you. My dear friend, if your heart is troubled or fearful, the Holy Spirit promises today to bring the peace that surpasses understanding. Are you powerless? You are not. Greater is he who lives in you than he who lives in this world. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in the child of God and he brings the power of God to make the child of God like the son of God. You are not powerless. You are filled with the same power that Christ had to become increasingly like Christ. Do you need help? Yes. The good news is the Holy Spirit, he is our helper. Whatever help you need today, this is your moment to meet with him and to inquire of him and to invite him and to ask him to help you in specific ways for specific needs. I'm gonna pray, I'll give you next steps and then we're gonna sing. Because Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. And what he says is, get up, let's go rejoicing. Father God, thank you for being our loving, adopting father. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our forgiving, atoning big brother. Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing the power and the presence of God into us to do a work for us, to do a work in us, to do a work through us. Make us more like Jesus. We invite you to do so now in practical ways. For dear people who you love so greatly, but sometimes Father, we admit, we confess, unlike the Lord Jesus, we do life on our own strength. We do life on our own energy. We do life on our own ability. We don't stop, plug in to the Holy Spirit, receive the power of God. So we do that now in Jesus' good name, amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays. YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.